Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. This is part two of my talk with David Collins, Chief Revenue Officer at DWO. We talk decision intelligence technology. We get into more of it today. Talk about data being a swamp, bias or evidence detection, his monetization strategy, on and on. I hope you enjoy it. If you're a techie, you will. See you on the other side. Thank you. Let's dive into the technology for just a moment. When I'm thinking of what you're talking about, DWO and um, decision intelligence, I can't help but think about the AI lifecycle because I've, um, you know, I've been in development where I've I've developed AI and in, in, in a studio around what we called here at IBM Watson Studio, etc. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of things to deal with within that AI lifecycle. Let's let's assume that, you know, we're beyond data fabric, data science, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But you still got data cleaning, mm -hmm. feature engineering. Mm -hmm. model selection, mm -hmm. parameter optimization. I could go around the horn here. Mm -hmm. um, do you, do you have to, I, I presume you got to focus in all those areas and that's part of the implementation that goes along with, you know, taking on DWO. Mm, no, I mean, it's, it's, to a, to a certain extent, but you know, if you think about all those practices are part of that Don Quixote pursuit of, of data excellence, right? Uh, those mm -hmm. are going to keep going on. At the end of the day, I'm helping the human cons consume whatever analytic output the enterprise is capable of generating, right? So now, true, you know, one of the things that we do very effectively is we can identify model drift and model decay, right? Because we're making predictions based upon the output of those models. Then we're actually seeing the results of the predictions and then we can tie back, you know, okay, if the, if the prediction was off, why was it off? And it, we, we do a pretty good job of identifying model drift and model decay. But, you know, the things like the data quality, the data cleansing, those things, those kind of things, those are going to go on whether you're doing business intelligence, decision intelligence, augmented intelligence, something along those lines. So, you know, we, we encourage them, we cheer them on, but we don't, we don't try to inject ourselves in the middle of that because you're right from a life cycle perspective, uh, that stuff is ongoing, right. And, and, and is, I consider it a sustainable function now, as opposed to, it used to be a project, right. But now it's, it's a matter of sustainability. So most of our uh, concern in that area is with respect to the models and, and uh, the accuracy of the models, the and the and, and you know, perhaps having to retrain models, but not so much in the data itself. That that kind of that kind of um, that kind of you know data ops stuff is going on with or without us um, is is kind of our view on it. Yeah, but you even said it yourself that it's a how did you say it? It's it's a continual battle, something like that. You know, and I agree with you. I mean, data. You know, data is always a swamp, I think, in some sense. You're always cleaning it up. But I got to believe you're going in there a lot of times and helping with some of the cleaning to get your, your models right. I mean, how could that not be? If by definition that customers are always working to improve their data, mm -hmm. then by definition, if you're trying to make the right decisions on top of that data, you would have to somehow help them or at least compartmentalize some of that data that's going to go along the decisions that you're trying to make. No. To, yes. To a degree. But you know, a lot of the groups that we're working with, they, you know, they, they've already kind of 
I don't think they've mastered it, but they've operationalized that, right? So, you know, they've got their their data science groups when there is when there is, you know, new data capabilities or the data quality has increased to an extent, then then they've got to integrate back to their data scientists that are working on those models. With our customers, um, yeah, they're on that pursuit. They're always improving their data quality or they're, you know, they've got new data capabilities. They've got to integrate with their data scientists. The data scientists have to make changes to the models. And then, you know, we're, you know, we're the ones that know when something, you know, happened when there's a hiccup in that universe, right? We're the first ones to know because suddenly something doesn't make sense at, at the output level. So that's, that's a continuous process. And we do get involved in that. That's a lot of where our customer support, customer sat is, is coming from that side of it. But, you know, from an orchestration perspective, we we're pretty good at managing the the output of the models that we're seeing and and being able to translate that into a consumption metric for the end user to be able to use and that's really the the key to what we do so that's an ongoing process al you you're 110 percent correct they're always they're always got something going on there's always uh it's a continuous data ops <laughs> process that people are going through but that's you know to a lot of that that's their knitting where we get involved in yeah we need to identify model decay model drift when they're the models aren't aren't syncing with um what they should be delivering to us and we'll flag for that but um we don't have to dive in they usually have teams that are like yeah we get it you know we'll solve for that pretty quickly um to help us you know help us through that because our most important thing right is not you know getting into that into the models per se or into the data science per se for the customer our most important thing is that those, you know, those 300 users trust the recommendation that they're getting and, and can see the logic and, and evaluate the data and they just start and they keep making decisions, right? We don't want people to stop making decisions. We want them to be confident in the analytic output that their, uh, their CDO, their CAO, their data science teams, their, I, uh, their data ops people are providing them. Speaking of trust, do you have bias detection built in, like explainability, to show the consumer, hey, this is why we made the decision, and yes. this is how we made the decision? Yes, that's you know that's um, that's uh, we call it evidence, which might be yeah. might be a politically correct way of dodging the you know a, a bigger longer conversation right but uh but so and if anybody copped out i'll take i'll have to take the blame for that <laughs> but you know from an so for us evidence is is very much that um why the recommendation was generated in the terms that it was generated in right and so you get to see the insights that that drove it you get to see the logic that was applied you get to see the data that was applied and then more importantly and this is this is a real critical element of creating that trust and and kind of um facilitating that kind of um trust going forward is you get that recommendation and you can slip right into a kind of a what if capability on that recommendation and you can change the parameters and constraints right so you can play with it a little bit right and you know we use databricks as our, our engine and our platform to be able to recalc and respin everything right away. So you apply different constraints. Maybe we need to go fire off a model, but we'll come right back and say, okay, if you if you want to adjust the recommendation, you know, classic example, these eleven hundred and thirty-five customers are at risk of churn. If you offer them a hundred dollar content credit, maybe they'll still be your cable customer thirty days from now. 
Now I may look at this and go, wow, hundred dollars, that's a lot. What if we just did 50 or maybe we do 150, but if we do a hundred, we're predicting that 435 are going to, are going to come back. So I, I get to adjust that. I get to play that. I get to work with the, the evidence so that I'm comfortable that when I put, when I say go, go, now, all of our stuff typically goes into a downstream API, right? So when I say go, I make the decision. I'm comfortable that I'm making that decision because I had a chance to take a look at the evidence and, and, and be comfortable with it. Very good. Hey, what's the monetization strategy? I mean, is it uh, you know subscription? Is it uh, by model? I mean, you tell me. It's a subscription by use case. So, okay. yep. and uh, we have a really uh, kind of an interesting way of, of um, uh, charging for it, which we think is um, remarkably equitable <laughs> the way this world's working. Um, we charge by it's consumption based by the number of recommendations. So the, is that the, the more, number of recommendations chosen or just the number of recommendations? Generated and reviewed. So generated the more you, yeah, the more you use it, the the more you pay. So it works out really good because you know f- from our experience, you know, once you deploy this, and people get comfortable with the recommendations and the accuracy of the recommendations, uh, obviously the volume increases. And I tell my customers ahead of time, I said, "Look, I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, six months from now, you you will have, you will have wished you'd bump me up a little bit more on the uh, on the, on the volume, but." Um, yeah, we, we do it that way. And that way, you know, it's also great when, when people are kind of walking before they run, uh, they can mm-hmm. kind of walk into this, uh, slowly and then, and then start sprinting. Say more and bump me up some more yeah. on the recommendations. So, you know, it's like, we, we come up with a scale and we say, well, all right, for, you know, X number of recommendations from zero to, you know, 500, it's, it's X and then X per recommendation. And from 500 to a thousand, it's Y. And, um, and everybody goes in trying to, you know, keep their price low, which I don't blame them. I would too uh, on a, on a new deployment. And then once they start using this thing and it goes viral, they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's redo that pricing schedule. Cause I need to start at 5,000, not 500, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Well, but don't they ever challenge you on, Hey, look, recommendations could be a dime a dozen. I just need one recommendation that's earth shattering and I'd pay a fortune for that one. But some of them are just, they have no outcome to them. In other words, uh, I'm not going to leverage that. Yeah, not so much in our use cases because most of what we're doing is ops related, right? So it's it's not um, it's not it's not research driven. It's not storytelling. It's um, hey, you know what? I'm responsible for um, you know pricing uh, pharmaceuticals for for a great big firm, and I got to make pricing decisions in a heavily regulated environment every day, right? And so that's a group of 50 people, 60 people. And so we, we just try to make them better at what they do every day. But that's, that's no, there's no one decision. That's a Eureka. It's more like, Hey, we started using this system and, you know, suddenly we're, you know, our gross profits up 15%, right. Or something along those lines. I'd imagine you'd have, but you said earlier, you had some questions or you would find questions that they didn't think of asking yet. I imagine there's some Eureka's in there someplace. No. Yeah, but it's in context, right? So um, I, I've I've been the pricing guy for this line of of uh, <laughs> drugs for ten years. I know everything, and and we're shooting things at him he never thought about or she never thought about. They couldn't, right? They couldn't comprehend mm-hmm. that much uh, that in the data. So we come back and say, you know, look, you, you, did you ever think of marketing it, you know, to this 
to these physicians, this group of physicians, instead of the one you've been going to all the time. Hmm. That's a eureka moment, right? But you know, we it, it all gets rolled into the the same bucket, it, and, and it is. It, here's the problem with this, this whole last mile of analytics challenge that we've been, you know, chatting about here. You know, I, I deliver analytic output in the form of dashboard and trust a human to turn it into business value. And that's a big ask. It's a really big (laughs) ask. And especially when you think about what, what's happened in the last five years, we moved everything to a cloud, which was the right thing to do. And now we have unlimited, unlimited, virtually unlimited CPU power. We can we can throw dashboards at that poor human being like it's going out of style. They're on the other side of the analytic output fire hose, but it's still a human that has to translate it into business value, and that's the breakdown. So we can we can be on that fire hose, right? And we can do the consumption for them, and we can sort it out into recommendations, and then we can we can you know when you get into those situations where there's lots of recommendations, we prioritize the recommendations by the predicted value of the recommendation. So I'm, you know, I'm going through and I'm knocking them off as fast as I can. Well, that's interesting. I didn't get that. I mean, that was actually a question I was going to have. You actually prioritize the recommendations by the projected value. Exactly. So obviously you'd want to prioritize reverse down. (laughs) In other words, take the, the highest return on investment and go from there. Exactly. And so every, every use case has, you know, their key KPIs and metrics um, bolted into it. Right. And so we, that's how, that's our context, if you will, uh, that one of the key ways in which we look at things is, um, you know, are, today are we solving for gross profit? Today are we solving for gross revenue? Or, or today are we solving for some other different, um, some other kind of metrics? And so whatever that metric is, that's what's going to trigger the opportunities, the recommendations, and then the prioritization of those recommendations. So that as I look at these, I might have 20 of them, but I don't start working on the, you know, the, the leanest one first. I, I see what the biggest one and the highest value is at the top. Of the this chart. will seem like a weird question, but uh, how often do you face the AI as magic <laughs> issue? Meaning <laughs> I'm smarter than the AI that you don't bring this stuff in here. Come on. Every yeah. single day. <laughs> every How do you get by, beyond it? Day. All right. But, that's what I anticipated as the answer. Yeah. Every single day, <laughs> every single person. No. So it, um, well, in some cases, let's, let's, let's admit it. They are right. And so in, in some cases they are in, in some aspects better than the AI. Um, until the AI has been working for a long enough period of time. And, and what we do is, you know, as part of every human interaction, we store that in our context graphs, right? So we know if somebody approved something or rejected something or didn't agree with something or they amended something and why they amended it. So we're collecting all this, right? We're, we're effectively capturing the intuition and we're effectively capturing the experience and we're storing that as knowledge in our in our context graphs, right? And then we that's what our contextual intelligence is applying. So over the course of time, we're we're basically siphoning off a lot of human intuition and a lot of experience because you know, when when we first deploy this, yeah, the AI is good, but it's it's not great until you can really en- enhance it with that human interaction. Um, then the flip side of the coin is that what we were talking about evidence, right? I need to sh- I need to prove it to them. Right? They need to be able to click, go, yep, okay, I see it, I get it. All right, fine, you're right. I'll go on. Right, and, and if you don't show them evidence, 
you, you toast because nobody is going to just look at the AI and say, oh, black magic. They got it right the first time. I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> right? It's, it's never going to happen. But if you if you show them a recommendation, it's an NNL, you know, it's an NLP type of um, solution. So I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm reading it in a natural language. It's very clear what it's asking for. And then I click and I, I see the evidence. All right. Here's what I found in the data. Here's why the opportunity exists. Here's the insights. Here's the data points. Oh, by the way, if you want to play with these data points, you want to change the constraints, go ahead. All right. And so that um, experience is critical to getting people to consume the output. Right. And, and not just produce insights, but consume the output and create a decision, right? And so when you leave, you know, the, the last step in Devo is you translate that recommendation into a decision. So we are driving decisions and those decisions are creating incremental value for the business. Look, I think that's the right answer. That's the way I would have answered it. The validation is, is that answer. Meaning if we at IBM call it explainability and we've spent a lot of investment on explainability to really open it up to say, hey, it's not magic, it's it's data science or it's computer science for that matter. Uh, and you can see it right here. And this is yeah. how the decision was. was you're 100% made. right. So, you're 100%, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, this, it's a, it's, um, it's, you know, because at the end of the day, we got to remember, and we do this all the time, uh, we have to remember that it's a human that has to, has to form the decision. It's a human that's responsible for the decision, right? And so you got to appeal to their, um, what they need to see and feel and hear. And so in our case, right, our UIs, we're domain agnostic. Our UIs are customized for every, every user, right? The decision flow is not customized for every user, I'm sorry, every use case. And mm -hmm. customized for every, um, the decision flows are customized as well. So look, uh, any two pharmaceutical companies don't make the same decision in the same area the same way, right? And if you don't mimic, if you don't model your decision flow off of how I like and the rest of my people in this organization make my decisions, then I don't trust you, right? And, you know, I won't even get to the explainability part because I, I already have my doubts. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's a lot of emphasis on the human piece of uh, the consumption of the output. Very good. Hey, in summary, then, if if we're to explain DWO's differentiation, I mean, what do you guys do better than anyone else, and why do you do it better than anybody else? So, quite simply, um, we output an actionable and specific recommendation to a human in a natural language format that they can easily click on the evidence, review, understand the logic and the data behind it, and then they can they can immediately make a decision. And it, it doesn't sound like there's a lot going into it, but there's a phenomenal amount of code that got us to the point where we could deliver uh, a, re a recommendation that was accurate and, most importantly, that, that a human could get comfortable with and approve or amend and, and then immediately make a decision and, and create business value right away. So what we're best at creating recommendations that allow people to make an immediate decision and the output of our system is not a dashboard or a graph or a chart. It's a decision. Very good. Very good. Is there any question that I didn't ask you wish I would ask? 
No, I thought you did a great job, man. I think you're, you're <laughs> I, for, for, I passed for, the audition. For, 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 well, you know, I also remember you, you're, you're operating at, you know, 72% capacity according <laughs> to my decision intelligence right now. And, yeah. and so I appreciate the fact that you're able to uh, hang in there and do such a great job under the circumstances. Don't worry. When I hang up, I'm going to collapse. That's how this works. <laughs> <laughs> you put everything you can into it, put on a good face, and then you go, oh, my God. Yeah. I need to go to bed now. <laughs> yeah, go, go take you have a well you have a well earned nap in your immediate yeah. future. Is the way I look at it. Well, it's probably going to happen too. <laughs> hey, um, so are you venture funded? Yes. Well, so um, I, I I jumped the gun a little bit, bootstrapped uh, up until now, a, a large bootstrap, you know, kind of a yeah. a big number bootstrap up until now. Yeah. And then uh, very soon in the next. Uh, few days we'll uh, PR our uh, I, I, I call it a series a but it's, when you bootstrapped with a I'm not sure what to call it but our first <laughs> round of external invest investment will come in um, in the next next couple of days so is this all just about growing the business growing revenue or is there another definition of success as you move forward um, you know I think right now, it's all about, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of momentum behind decision intelligence just as in general. And, you know, and there's a, the challenge for us is to keep the, you know, the definition of decision intelligence as pure as we can, right? You, you need, you can, you can be one of us and be a decision intelligence vendor, but you've got to be able to produce a, a recommendation. You've, you've got to be able to drive decisions, right? I've got my friends that are in the BI space that, you know, are saying, well, we're decision intelligence too. We help you make decisions. Well, a quarter can help you make decisions, right? You can do a coin flip and that'll help you make a decision. It doesn't make a quarter a decision intelligence tool. And so that's, you know, a lot of what we'll be doing from a, yeah, it's a lot of go to market. Um, we need, you know, growing the customer base, obviously, and growing the revenue stream is what investors are looking for. But for me personally, it's about, um, also messaging in the marketplace, you know, <laughs> decision intelligence is, is not glorified BI and decision intelligence is, is really a, a, a genre in of itself. Fantastic. You sure you don't want to finish off with some DWO sales incentive plans or anything else like that? You know, I'm in sales myself. I'd love to have that conversation. I guess that's never going to happen. That's not, 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 not currently. Not if I want to keep this job. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But I will ask you one last question there. What do you do for fun? You know, um, no shortage of, of, uh, of fun for me. I'm fortunate enough that when, when, uh, the whole, uh, pandemic hit i managed to you know socially distance myself at a lake house so i can go out and fish and uh swim and water ski and when i don't want to do that i can you know hop hop in the car and head over and, and play some golf so no shortage of uh no shortage nice. of, of distractions <laughs> for me as i when i decide i'm i've had enough today of decision intelligence <laughs> what lake can I ask? I'm on uh, Mary Meaning Lake, which is in New Durham, New Hampshire, which nice. uh, is up here and surrounded by some mountains and forests and trees. Very nice. Yeah. I uh, I had ambitions like you, but I waited too long. I waited before the lake house run up to go up. I made two offers on two houses and I couldn't. They said, either come here and sign like tonight. Yes, tonight. 
<laughs> or you're not getting it. I'm like, yeah. the hell with it then. I'm out. Uh, absolute, absolute insanity. And, and I, I got to believe things have kind of slowed down just a tad. Last summer was insane. Uh, absolutely insane. Um, you know, we would know that a house was going on the market, not because somebody put a sign in front of it, because there was 25 cars with out-of-state license plates in front of it <laughs> on a Friday afternoon. And so we go, okay, Saturday morning, they're going on and they'll start taking offers and the bidding starts at, you know, whatever. It was, yeah, crazy. And, and by by Sunday, they had it closed. All right, it was just that now. Now it's subsequent to that. There's a lot of people who realize they should have cashed in their lottery ticket last summer. Yeah. So what what's going to happen now? Are all these people going to have to move back to the city, or at least some? Or do you think uh, we're going to see uh, a lot of foreclosures? No. What's your prediction? You know, I, I, you know, from what I've been able to gather, most of the people that made their purchases up here weren't doing it with uh, house money. You know, I, I think they were they were um, mm-hmm. they were you know they were probably shrewd in the fact that they had to take some money out of the stock market that was soon to plummet anyway. Um, so I, and this is a lot of second home, third home, you know, type of folks up here, um, mm-hmm. which th- they may be a little bit more insulated, but I'm going to tell you, you keep having, you know, 30, 30% declines in the NASDAQ for a long enough period of time. And it'll, it'll, you know, yeah. it'll have an impact. <laughs> exactly. Hey, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it, man. Hey, Al, I appreciate you uh, soldiering through like this. Great effort on your part. I appreciate yeah, it a no lot. Problem. It was a pleasure. And I hope your wife remains COVID-free. <laughs> Yours as well. As well. <laughs> it's, I it's think they must be living right. Yeah, new strange greeting, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. Hey, th- thank you listeners for being here as well. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We always listen. Rate us. We appreciate it. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. See you all. Bye-bye.